All right, welcome everyone to another edition of Real Hawk Talk, and we got a fun show lined up for you tonight. We're back to our usual taping of Tuesday nights, and we got we got a nice cast of characters in store for you tonight. We got me, Jeff Simmons, Brian, my usual co-host, and we got Evan joining us for another week in a row after his uh, softball doubleheader that people were asking about already today. <laughs> we'll touch on it. Yeah, we will. And before we get into the show, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Shil Kapadia, who announced that he is leaving the Seahawks beat after his two years here. And we actually were going to have him on our show later this year, but circumstances did not line up. And we just want to thank him for the work he's done on the beat the last couple of years. And he's really done outstanding work. He's he's kind of a rare talent where he can just kind of write, ask the right questions, kind of talk about advanced stats without a condescending tone and acting like he invented football. So I just want to give him a shout out and wish him the best of luck. And before we get into the nitty gritty, Brian, you want to take it away with our usual announcements? Uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, folks that are tuning in, thanks for joining. Um, you'll notice that uh, there may be a few additional faces that that uh, show up on the show tonight, uh, and um, those are folks uh, that are Hawk Blogger pat- patrons. So people that uh, join, support the show, support uh, the blog. Um, it's a big part of what we're trying to do, have a deeper relationship with people following as opposed to just chasing page views and banner ads all the time. And um, it's a huge part of how we can increase the charitable donations that we make. For people that don't know, um, all the proceeds, um, other than you know uh, basic, basic things like uh, uh, some of the server stuff that we started now covering, everything's going to charity, goes to Ben's fund. Um, Donated over $60,000, and we're on track with the help of patrons to donate a record amount. I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll donate $20,000 uh, this year, um, which would be awesome. So uh, you see at least one person right now, that's Sean Thompson, and folks that are patrons are welcome to join the show, and uh, they'll be first up for Q&A when we get into that later. Um, you can become a patron at uh, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash hawkblogger. Um, and uh, another thing you can do is you can actually become a sponsor of the show and a sponsor of the blog. And so one of those sponsors is uh, Steam Donkey Brewery. And uh, last week, uh, I didn't really get the pour into the mic the way I wanted. So I'm going to try to like make sure that the audio podcasters can hear it. <laughs> I don't know if that came through, but ah, dang it. We'll have to work on that still. I heard it. We're good. <laughs> That's good. So, um, I'm still drinking my Asco IPA. They're down in Aberdeen, Washington. John Bennett and his wife, um, great folks, great Seahawks fans, um, and huge supporters of the blog. So uh, thank you to Steam Donkey Brewery. Um, and with that, uh, take us away, Jeff. Yeah, we were hoping that we'd be getting to a, another show about breaking down another big preseason win. The Seahawks had a lot of positive developments this week against Minnesota. The, the game wasn't as close as the final score indicated. Minnesota got a garbage time touchdown. But unfortunately, we're back talking about the story that we've been talking about all summer long since we started the show, and it's the offensive line. And just when things were starting to look a little more settled, George Fant, who a guy me and Brian were really excited to watch, he was a guy we mentioned on our first ever edition of the show. Unfortunately, he goes down for the season with a torn ACL and some MCL damage rate when he's just starting to kind of settle into his role. And like days after he wins the job, for the season. It, 
So I don't know, Evan, if you want to start with this, how, how do you respond to the fan news and where does the team go from here at a position that we find ourselves talking about in every episode? Yeah. So first of all, my emotions have been all over the place this week. It's been this, this fan injury ride has been not a fun roller coaster. Um, obviously the initial reaction was almost like Seahawks depression. It was like, like like finally things are starting to look good in like a limited sample size. Like he stonewalled um, whatever that pass rusher is. I think something Griffin for, uh, for the Vikings and, you know, in limited snaps, he looked good in pass pro. So um, when he went down, obviously it was devastating. Um, I, I think my thoughts have kind of consolidated on this though, over the past couple days. And, you know, I, I've just been thinking about like the Russell Wilson injury last year, like the Earl Thomas injury, like the Tyler Lockett injury just kind of like remember kind of like thinking about those injuries in hindsight kind of gave me like almost like like a little a little bit of a sense of peace in the terms that like is the is how do i phrase this is the step down from fant to reese the difference between a super bowl win and a super bowl loss and i'm not sure it is and and that's not discrediting george fant's development that's not discrediting discrediting his work you know everything he's done this offseason at all like I, I think he's going to return and i actually think he's going to be a much improved left tackle but i don't think this ends the season for us like i, I you, you got to remember like this roster is absolutely loaded with talent on the defensive side of the ball the offense like yes this is a big loss but i'm not sure this ends like our super bowl hopes or anything so best of luck with fan recovering i don't know those those are my thoughts yeah, and Brian, I don't know how you feel, but if you want to get in touch on fans and kind of the yeah, impact. we definitely we definitely got to spend a little bit of time on this, and we're we're getting some questions even already in the the YouTube chat pod, and Sean will have a chance to uh, enter in some questions in his chat pod if he wants as well. But um, I will not uh, out the person uh, in the media that I was chatting with uh, after the game. Uh, I chat with some of those folks sometimes, and and. Uh, but this person who shall remain nameless was pretty uh, pretty depressed about the fan injury and really felt like it was, you know, kind of a season-defining change. And um, I, honestly, I just don't have – I didn't have that reaction. Um, I see – I think that <laughs> – I think that the team – and to some extent, Seahawks Twitter has gotten over their skis a little bit on George Fant. I think that he was a big project last year. I think he's clearly remade his body, and he made a big step forward this year. That's great. I still think Fant was a below-average NFL left tackle. And, um, uh, you know, he was going to have to prove to me otherwise. I watched him through 1v1 pass rush drills. Through training camp, he was still getting beat around the end by speed rushers. I still saw that happening in the games. Um, he's not perfect, so I I didn't see this as a as a it is a major injury. I don't want to I, I don't want to say that it's not a huge deal. It is, but you're talking about going from someone who I think is maybe a six out of ten at left tackle to maybe someone who's four out of ten at left tackle, and so. Um, that remains to be seen. We don't know exactly what we have in Riso Diamba, and we'll talk about some of the other options and Matt uh, Matt Tobin. But I feel like it's been a little bit overblown, to be honest. I, what I saw is an offense that's looked as good as I've seen that offense look 
against a very good Vikings defense. And they did it in the first half, and they did it against starters, and they did it both with Fant and without Fant, and they did it in ways that I think was pretty independent of you know, who is playing left tackle unless they're a complete disaster. Um, I still think our, you know, we have a real issue at right tackle um, that, that uh, needs attention. So, look, I've been saying consistently through camp, I think our tackles are going to be a problem. I still think our tackles are going to be a problem. That's where I am. Yeah, and I guess I should comment on this. And, yeah, the tough thing was, as I Evan mentioned, the videos kind of came out this week just focusing on Fant, and you saw him stonewalling Everson Griffin. And it's a preseason game, so they're not preparing for Fant. But just seeing the kind of player he's starting to look like and his technique just seemed way more refined. But I don't think it's a doomsday scenario, as some of the people on Twitter seem to indicate. Yes, I don't. You kind of just see how hard it is to find a left tackle, and just kind of the value of having the Seahawks actually do have pretty decent, as bad as things looked at times with Riso Diombo. Having a third round pick who's played left tackle before in college able to step in is not a terrible scenario. Looking at the game tape from last week, and we'll get into this a lot more later, Reese looked like a guy who who had some skill there, and there were some horrible series he had right after halftime and near the end of the fourth quarter, but. There were times where Reese, both in run blocking and pass blocking, looked functional. Yeah. And when I dug more into the tape, I started to get a little more optimistic. But it's it's tough. You know, you, you, losing your left tackle two weeks before the start of the season, three weeks before the start of the season is never easy. And it just fans seemed like a guy that everyone wanted to root for. And he had a great story working with Walter Jones. And even on the game film, Brock Heward was like in the middle of talking about how. He's one of the best stories in the league. And next thing you know, he's on the ground on a friendly fire injury. And it's, it's just a tough break, but there's always going to be injuries in football. And that's why you build depth. And that's why we've talked about depth so much on this show. So I guess, yeah. Are we going to, do you want to get into the Matt Tobin stuff now? Or are we saving that for later? Oh uh, yeah. Before our, before our guest comes on. Yeah. We'll get into that now. So, yeah, yesterday the Seahawks make a trade that drove some people crazy. And we, we're going to get into this a little later, into the, some of the options that the team could have going forward in the trade market and some of the guys that might be available on the street. But the team did give up a fifth-round pick in exchange for Matt Tobin from Philadelphia. And I'd be surprised if anyone on this show had a detailed analysis of Tobin other than kind of the things they've read on Pro Football Reference or some of the stuff they've learned on Twitter. But – he appears to be more of a depth player that can fill in kind of a versatile option now that people are shifting around. And today it seems like he's going to be the backup left tackle. I don't know if you guys have any strong thoughts on the trade or on Tobin, but it seems like. Yeah, I, I did a little, <laughs> whenever big trades happen or signings happen, I like to go into the opposing or like the recent fan bases, like either subreddit or, or, you know, like, like their fan, like SB nation fan blog. And, and I love like reading their comments and kind of like their reactions and stuff. And Eagles fans were not super happy with Tobin ever. So, um, just going off there, you know, I, I don't know how credible that count that counts, but like, I think what hurts for me is like the, the loss of the fifth round pick. Is that right? Yeah, it was the fifth round pick. That just kind of hurts a little bit. I just, uh, I, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more bummed by the, by the draft pick trade, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, I think 
So I contributed, uh, unfortunately, to uh, some of the confusion because uh, I was looking at Tobin's um, Pro Football uh, focus grades. It's one of the things that, by the way, patron sponsors have, have made it possible for us to have access to. So let me share really quickly um, what I saw. And I know we're going to be going over to Danny here in a little bit, but you guys able to see my screen? Yep. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, this was his preseason gra uh, grades. And so this is what I initially saw. And uh, if I zoom in here a little bit. Um, for this, this is for last year. Let's look at 2017. All right. So he's had some experience left tackle, but this is over the course of his preseason over his career. And he's actually done pretty well in the preseason um, and uh, decent pass blocking grades and decent run blocking grades. And I was like, whoa, well, maybe they actually did get a decent depth guy. But watch what happens when I switch over to regular season. So this is when things get kind of ugly. Let's go over to 2016. And uh, this is where you start to see a season summary down here. And so you see he's had some experience at left tackle, some experience at right tackle. Um, you know, overall, not great, but not terrible. But he's only getting a few snaps, right? Um, when he's got significant snaps, it's mostly been at right tackle. When he did get meaningful snaps at left tackle, it wasn't good. Um, and overall, he seems to be a guy that has some run blocking potential. Um, but pass blocking, I mean, yeesh. Uh, not good um so you know when you look at a guy that's the backup and you know he's he's given up eight sacks and 11 qb hits and i think there's reasons why um you can kind of understand that one he looks like the typical kind of guy that the seahawks tend to go after better run blocker overall 10.1 than pass blocker negative 41.7 over the course of his career so, you know, that's my initial th thought. And then, you know, we're going to talk later. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to talking about this not being the last move they make there. I I'm yeah. hopeful. It's probably hope against hope, but I'm hopeful that they will do something more. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that, uh, looks like we've got our guest to welcome hey, into the show. Thanks. There's a lot of you guys on here. What's up, man? Only a couple of us really matter, Danny. And that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's really been Sean and, and the other folks here. <laughs> oh, who's all muted? Who, who's muted right now? Introduce me. Let's see. Jeff, Sean, unknown. <laughs> yeah, unknown is really scary. You got to watch out for unknown. But uh, no, those are, those are our Hawkblogger patrons, dude. They, they come on, they're nice. live to the audience. So you cannot make any mistakes. Don't pick your nose. People are watching. I know. I got to get uh, used to this. And I'm gonna hand it over to Jeff because I, I know he's uh, he he made the arrangements and uh, has some questions for you. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. First, we'd like to welcome Danny. For those who don't know, he were he's one of the main national writers for the Ringer, Bill Simmons's website, and he used to do a fantastic job at Field Goals as the Seahawks blogger for SB Nation, and he's one of the best voices on Twitter and one of the most reasonable football fans out there. So we're happy to have Danny on and. Prior to you joining, we were talking about, I guess, the big Seahawks news of the week. So 
just first your thoughts on the George fan injury and the plan yeah. to go forward with Reese Odiamba at left tackle. It's funny how much um, we kind of put on the whole fan thing now, especially considering yeah. he, he didn't play a full year last year and he wasn't all that great last year, but clearly, you know, he, he'd seemed to have improved. He was looking actually really good in that game before he got hurt, which is obviously really depressing. Um, and now it leaves the Seahawks scrambling and, there's really no good way to go about this at this point, other than making some crazy trade and paying a bunch of guy. Um, you know, they were talking about Dwayne Brown and things like that. That that would be really interesting, but I don't know if it's actually feasible for this team. Um, so in the meantime, I guess you just have to go to what you the next best option, which is you know a backup left tackle in this league. It's hard enough to find a starter. So um, yeah, it, it sucks. It, it's it's a little bit weird that they're not moving. Jokel over there, but I guess I can kind of understand that just based on, you know, he's he's looking pretty solid there. Although that's not even, I mean, we'll we'll see how that's going. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a crappy situation because it seemed like they kind of finally had sort of settled on the left side, and then like of course, like the day they settle on it, he gets hurt. So um, yeah, I don't know. It, it sucks. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, but. Um, I guess they're putting their bas- their they're all their eggs in the Reese Odiambo basket, which that'll be fun to watch. <laughs> you don't sound like you're being honest in that uh, last statement. <laughs> well, I, I, I've run out. Of, I'm not like I've run out of optimism. Seahawks <laughs> offensive line. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think they're going to be good. I mean, it's it's not like a hot take to say that. <laughs> Danny, bring in the knowledge. Yeah, they well, Jokels looked okay, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure he was on his back twice last week, um, just getting straight bull rushed. And oh, and Effetti, our first round pick from last year, has not looked solid in pass pro. I guess he's done pretty well in run blocking, but he's been pretty pretty atrocious in in pass blocking. Um, I don't, they don't know who's going to play right guard yet. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a mess. I guess outside of the offensive line, which we're all pulling our hair out every week, what have been your observations from the first two Seahawks games so far? I don't know how much you've been able to dig into them from in terms of the offensive line. No, just in terms of the rest of the team. Well, I think it's this, you know, not to be a homer or whatever, but this looks like the deepest roster we've seen in a long time in a couple of years, really. And that's really exciting. You know, obviously the, the offensive line stuff kind of tempers every tempers everything, but I mean, the, the receiver core looks really, really deep. The defensive backs group looks deep. Um, the defensive line, there's so many guys on there that I'm going to be kind of disappointed to get to see get cut. Uh, you know, the running backs group like is who? really, really good. Um, well, I don't know who's going to – I don't know who will make it in the end. But, like, guys like David Bass have really flashed. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that – Sorry, I'm covering up my roster. Garrison Smith has looked pretty good on a couple of snaps. He's played kind of all over the place. Um, Quentin Jefferson kind of showing up. He, he kind of looks – He I think he's uh, the same number as Tony McDaniel. He kind of looks like him too. Just, you know, a tall guy out there kind of playing all over the line. Um, Cassius Marsh is going to make the team. But, you know, th- there's just a couple guys in there. And Nazir Jones has really, you know, showed up. So there's a lot of depth there. And I don't know who, I don't know who they're going to settle on. I don't know how many guys they're going to keep, but um, there's some talent there. Yeah, I think those are good call-outs, and, and we'll, t- we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But, yeah, I did think that Quentin Jefferson 
had a quietly strong game in his first action this week against the Vikings. And that's it's good news. And we talked last week, Danny, about the fact that typically the Seahawks keep eight defensive linemen. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, on average, they, you know, eight and a half maybe. And I've gotten them currently keeping nine because I think David Bass and Marcus Smith both make the team. Um, oh, yeah, Smith was the other guy I was kind of wondering about. Yeah. Yeah. And and 2013 team kept 11 defensive linemen Ooh. and they cut <laughs> Jay Howard and Clinton McDonald. So it's yeah, uh, so ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Who else did they have on that roster? They had uh, the guy, the safety from Kansas City. That's really good now, too. Oh, Ron Parker. And, oh. Yeah, they had so many freaking guys on that team. Anyway, yep. maybe that maybe this isn't the deepest team, but it's it's. To me, like watching them play, especially the first week, it was like, holy shit, this, these guys are seriously very, very deep. And, you know, they, the Seahawks always kind of bring the energy, but they were like, it was a whole nother level. So, um, I mean, there's plenty of reason to get excited, I think, about the Seahawks. The, the, the offensive line stuff has been kind of a bummer this week, but I think there's still plenty of really, you know, strong signs that this is a good team. I'd also like to hear your thoughts on this because you can't go on Twitter for the last 20 minutes and not hear people freak out. And I saw you tweet out the article. Mike Sando does that fantastic <laughs> quarterback tears article. And I don't want anyone to think we're bashing Mike Sando because that's the furthest thing from no. the case. He just reports well, he's, that's not his opinion. Yeah, exactly. And obviously Russell Wilson comes in at 10th under Derek Carr, under Matt Stafford. I don't know if you have a take on that, but <laughs> it's wrong, but um... yeah, it seemed low. I think there's a lot of um, there's an element of sort of recency bias going on here. Clearly, with Carr, the the recency bias is strong. I think he's an ascending player, but to put him over Wilson at this point is stupid. Um, wait, hold on, let me pull up the article because there was kind of there was a lot of stuff. I, I actually started looking at um, the fact that Roethlisberger is in the tier one. Just kind of tells you where these people's like like where the thinking is. Kind of it's like. He's a playoff. He, his playoff mystique is pay, is playing a big part of this. His toughness and things like that, like some of this, like you know, the coach stuff that, like, they I think they highly value. It's like, I mean, I was posting on Twitter, like Roethlisberger's road numbers are like are, are like Brock Osweiler esque. Like they're terrible, and they put him in tier one. Um. So I mean, that kind of just sets the <laughs> sets the tone of the article a little bit, but. Um, I wouldn't disagree with obviously Rogers, Brady, um, Breeze, and then Matt Ryan in the first tier, and then the second tier kind of the the order to me just doesn't work. Like they're they're putting Andrew Luck number six, and then saying oh he was hurt, and then they talk about how Russell Wilson took a step back last year. It's like well, yeah he was hurt also, guys. So it, I mean like <laughs> I, we we could go like in circles with the whole Russell Wilson Andrew Luck thing. I think the two more egregious things are putting Stafford and and uh, and Carr above Wilson because that's just stupid, frankly. I mean, it's just wrong. <laughs> I don't know how, to, how else to put it. Well, like I would jump in there and say I, I, I just am looking at the article for the first time and I heard about it from the guys before we started the show. I think Dak Prescott has reason to have some arguments as well. He's down there at 14, yeah. you know, below Kirk Cousins and – um, you know, Cam Newton, Eli Manning, maybe, maybe I have too high of an opinion of Dak Prescott, but I have a feeling he's going to be 
a top 10 quarterback this year. I, I see yeah. only good things from him. I think it's probably an element of like they, they need to see more, you know, from him. Limited it, sample size. Yeah, I'd like exactly. to see more from Eli Manning then. <laughs> that's, that's where that was <laughs> it's exactly, been a little while. That was going to be my next point is the fact that Eli Manning is 11th is just silly to me. This list is, I mean, like, obviously, there a lot of these guys like are very, very experienced, very, very smart, know football really well, but there's so much like it, it just tells you like why so many teams like t- completely fuck up the quarterback situation. Like, there's just a lot of like, probably bad biases and, and incorrect, like bad ways of going about like evaluating position. <laughs> and I mean, this, I think this list is very fascinating for that, for that reason. Like it just kind of tells you a lot about how the league values different things. And now just to be honest, I think at the beginning, uh, he Sando kind of like framed it. He says the, the higher the tier, the less help the quarterback needs to be effective, especially when circumstances call for him to flourish in a pure passing situations. So those highly pressurized times when handing off or running the ball did not cut it. So like they're immediately setting that bias. Like this is a pocket passer. You know what I mean? It's like the and, scene of Moneyball, you know? Yeah. So I don't know that I think that really sort of frames the whole article and frames the way that these guys are probably thinking about it. But um, yeah, it's a, it, I think it's a fun article though, because it kind of does, say a lot about, you know, how, how like guys who are running teams value different things. No surprise. There's so many, so many <laughs> bad quarterback situations in the NFL. And uh, Danny, one of our other writers, Nathan Ernst sent in a uh, question he wanted to ask you. Yo. And he wanted to know how your view of the Seahawks has changed from a national perspective and whether you look at them differently or respect them more now that you're doing more of a national writing job than a block uh, team. Yeah, I think it's helped me appreciate them more. I'll put it that way. Like in terms of the way they go about playing and like the enthusiasm and effort they always show and um, the way they hit and the way they fly around. I think that you kind of, if you don't watch a lot of the teams like all the time and you can kind of lose it, lose your appreciation for that. Like the Seahawks and, and I always try and retweet when I see it from other people around the league, but like Lance Zierling the other day was like, saying something like he's never ever seen a bench so involved in like the game in terms of like in like the third and fourth quarter of a preseason game, the bench guys are just like, you know, pumped up and, and running on the field and all that. And so I think I really appreciate the, the brand of football that they play. It can be boring sometimes and it can be slog. Like they, a lot of their games are slogs, like six to six, whatever last year, which was like the worst game ever. But um, at the same time, they're very, very, you know, the, the way they play football is just, uh, it's good. Like, it's like a primal, like good, like that's how it should be played, you know? So uh, that's, I think that's what I appreciate a lot about it. It's also just kind of fun to be on the outside looking in now. Cause I, I'm not, I just don't have time to listen to like all the pressers and stuff. So I'm not quite as up on like every little teeny bit of news. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun to not have to be in it on all the drama because <laughs> this drama happens all the time. Um, so it, that's a little bit, it's a little less stressful, put it that way. Yeah. So what's your, what's your assessment, you know, given you're a little bit farther, you know, removed, what's your assessment of where the Seahawks are relative to, you know, the rest of the league, you know, what are some teams that, that have, you know, have your eye right now? Um, I think the Seahawks are one of the better teams in the NFL. I put them in the top five for sure. Um, I think the Cowboys could take a big step back this year. 
Uh, there's just so much in, in terms of chaos, they're way more chaotic than the Seahawks. And, um, you know, obviously with Ezekiel Elliott possibly missing some games, that could be bad for them. Um, and I think that the Falcons could take a big step back. I think that the Panthers are going to be better this year than they were last year, especially if Keekley can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I think they could be a surprise, really good team. Um, I think the Bengals might take a big step forward again if they can figure out what their offensive line is doing. That offense is the weapons they've got. They've got so many weapons, man. And, and we like to make fun of Dalton, but he's better than, you know, he's 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 a above average quarterback, put it that way. Um, so I think he can, you know, get them to where they want to be. They were like five times straight, you know, playoff team in a really tough division. So um, let's see, who else is there? I don't know. I, I think obviously New England probably got better in the offseason, which is just fibergassing. Um. Green Bay's defense is still a huge X factor. I don't know if they're bad again. I think they could, you know, kind of be one of those teams that just relies all on Rodgers. Have you had a chance to look at that team at all? Like my, my question with that team, offensive line. They've lost two Pro Bowl yeah. slash All Pro offensive linemen year, you know, back to back years. And I have I look yeah. at the, that line and I don't see great quality step. Like Don Barkley is like their answer. Like I don't, I don't know that. That that line should be considered a well, solution yet. They did sign Jari Evans, so oh, come on, dude! You just had to twist the knife, didn't you? <laughs> All right, time to get oh. off the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, they. I don't know that, that they definitely they definitely have lost some talent on that offensive line, and you know clearly helped Rodgers a lot to have like such a good, solid you know pass protecting group all the time. I, I put together an article about some of the you know different skills guys have in the NFL, and, and watching Rodgers and the kind of like navigate the pocket was so much fun just because he's just like, he can just sit back there and like slide around and like kind of go back and forth for like 10 seconds. Um, so that obviously helps him a lot. I mean, I, I, yeah, that's definitely a big factor. And I just think their defense last year was so fucking terrible. And if they didn't figure it out like this year, then it's still going to be kind of, I think a struggle for them. I'm trying to remember what other teams I'm really high on. Not high on Buffalo or Miami. Definitely not the Jets. The Ravens, this whole dealing with Flacco. Who do you think is going to take second in the NFC West? Uh, the Cardinals. Uh, I think the 49ers will be a little bit better, and I think the Rams will be a little bit better. I think the division overall will be pretty solid this year. I don't think that either of those teams are going to challenge for playoff spots, but I think that they'll be better. Yeah. Six or seven win teams. And that makes a difference in that division. So um like i said i think the panthers are gonna be good i think the lions are probably gonna st- take a step back minnesota for me is a team to watch that's a wild card team don't you think that's like they could either be pretty bad or like the defense could carry them to the playoffs well, i was and, just walking with my son last night who he is obsessed with fantasy football and i no longer participate myself and one of the guys i called out for him as a sleeper is dalvin cook i think he looked really good he looked really good um i Funny, I, I think people are sleeping on Marshawn Lynch as well. I don't know if you yeah. saw his even his one snap where he took the ball. I was like, he looked faster than the last time he was with the Seahawks. He's mm-hmm. more motivated. Like, I would not be shocked if Marshawn Lynch puts together his career year in his swan yeah. song. That that offensive line is really good too. Exactly. I don't. Yeah, because I, I yeah, a lot of people are talking about you know he's old and and coming off a really injury prone season, and those are valid sort of concerns, but. Like before 2015, he hadn't missed a game in like four years, and he runs like, you know, we know he know he runs like no one in the world. He's like the most physical guy in the world. So, 
I don't know. I think he'll be good. I think if they give him, I think he'll, I don't see why he was, I don't think he's coming back to half-ass it or whatever, you know, like. It's run for his hometown. I mean, if you thought he ran hard for the Seahawks. He's running for his hometown and he's running for the Hall. Yeah. You know? So there, he, there's no, it's not like he's coming back to like get to the playoffs or something, you know, like he's got a Super Bowl ring. I, I think he's going to be good. I think, I, de- I definitely think people are sleeping on him. Um, what other, who other teams? The AFC South sucks. Uh, the Titans, the Titans should be fun. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a, that is a flashpoint team. Like yeah. I, I see all the, the folks that are, kind of into the NFL and like to project and prognosticate like that's the team everyone wants to be out in front on. Right. Because that offense, they got an offensive line. They've got receiver talent. Now Eric Decker was a nice sneaky pickup. Super under the radar too. I really like that. Yeah. Now I have not validated this stat, but I heard that Marcus Mariota has not thrown a red zone touchdown. In his, I think in that's his. true. He hasn't Is thrown that, one. He has uh, not in, thrown a red, he's not thrown a red zone touchdown. No, 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 no. He hasn't thrown an interception is, is what I think the stat is. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot more sense because when I was looking at his numbers, they were crazy. Um, that'd, be, that'd be like he was in um, Bruce Arians offense or something. <laughs> I know. That's why I was bringing it up. I'm like, yeah, but you've got Mariota who's, who's dual threat quarterback. You've got um, tight end. You've got multiple running, running backs. backs. Yeah. Uh, even flu, uh, was it flu Allen? Fluin? Flulin? He had a great game last game. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. Their defense is a wild card. They got a couple of free agents and kind of dependent on all that. To, they got Cyprian and, and Ryan. Um, so, yeah. But, but I mean, like, the Colts are going to be bad. The Texans, their defense is going to be really strong, but they might just win that division by default. And the Jaguars, that will be bad again, probably. The West, the AFC West is fun. Seems like all four of those teams could be good. Chargers are always injured, but I'm always a fanboy of Phil Rivers. He's so much fun. Um, and then in the NFC East, I like the Giants the most, I think. Of course, if they lose Beckham, that could be bad. We don't know yet what's going on with that. Yeah, that did not look good. Um, and, what did you take on that hit? My first impression was that it was bad. Like, I, I didn't think it was necessarily dirty, but, like, I mean, I don't know. It seems really – it just didn't – it seemed really shitty to, like, go for a guy's knees in the preseason. But, I don't know, that's football. I, I, I'm very, very sort of torn on it. I, I saw a lot of players kind of tweeting about how it was dirty. So, I guess I don't feel that bad for calling it something akin to dirty. But, uh I mean, at the same time, the guy's trying to, you know, get it, keep his job and everything. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, you know, catch 22. I think probably shouldn't have even had him in there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It makes me worried. It makes me like more worried that the Seahawks are playing Russell Wilson into like the third quarter on like game two of the preseason. Yeah. Which is, which was weird. Like, do we, I guess, I mean, especially when he's like freaking stroking it so like he's just like he's looking so good like why do you need to push it into the third quarter it was weird I, what, I was know your guys take? what was your guys take was it dirty or not i think my first initial reaction was like you know greg williams 
defensive coordinator, you know, <laughs> Rams yeah. to the Browns, like kind of like bad thoughts, kind of like super emotional reaction. But I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of, I think I'm torn with you too, Danny. Like this guy's trying to make a roster, but yeah. the Giants also probably shouldn't have had him in the game. It just doesn't seem super logical. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah, it didn't seem dirty to me at all. Really? <laughs> to be totally honest, I mean, I, I saw a guy trying to make a play. Uh, he's, you know, it wasn't even clear to me that he has balance before he started, you know, to make the tackle. And people go up for a ball. People go to tackle him, you know. And uh, I'm glad. No, I'm, I'm glad he didn't seem to seriously get hurt. But uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah, we'll see. He looked like he's in a lot of pain in the tunnel. That's for sure. What do you? What's your take on like all the different players that are coming out and talking about how like that's like a dirty shot? That's like a bad play. I I mean I feel like I can. If if players are saying it, I take their word for it a little bit more than any of us analysts because they're out there playing. (laughs) But like, so I was said anything. Well, Aaron Foster was the one I saw. There was a couple other guys. I can't remember off the top of my head who they were that I saw tweeting about it too. Like the unwritten rule is like you don't do that in the preseason. But again, it's like at the same time, it's like these guys are trying to, you know, they're trying to get a job. They're trying to make the team. They're not going to just let him run by. And it did look like he fell or like tripped or whatever. Right. So, yeah, it's one of the, it, to me, it's not clear. It, it didn't look, so that's why I'm not going to say it's dirty. It was a shitty hit though. Like it sucks that he did it. I'll say that. Yeah. 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 It's not great, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's easy for me to say. I'm, I'm not out there playing, but it, it seemed like it seemed like football to me. Yeah. So, Danny, we've kept you. Uh, I think you know longer than we anticipated. Jeff, uh, you have other stuff you wanted to, to wrap up with, Danny? I guess before we let you go, heading into the Chiefs game on Friday, who are a couple players you're really looking forward to see in that final game? We'll probably see the starters before the regular season. For the Seahawks, um, well, I mean, I, I'm still kind of curious what's happening with the running back situation. Um, I don't think they're going to cut Eddie Lacy, but, you know, it'd be nice to see a little bit more out of him um, and then get some more clarity in terms of the depth chart, like Mike Davis, Chris Carson. Um, you know, I think they still have McKissick listed as a running back. It's, I don't know if that really matters, but um, so get that kind of worked out. I'll be watching the offensive line clearly the receivers group, you know, there's guys like David Moore who have made a few really nice plays and, and looks pretty like it just a lot. He just as an athlete, he looks intriguing. You want to see more from an or a Darbo. Um, and then case Williams clearly like has made a pretty strong statement that he could make the team. So um, I'll be watching the, the, you know, the receivers quite a bit defensively. I don't, I'm not really that sold on chat Griffin yet. I just think I think he could work, and I think that um, he's he's good because he won't give up a lot of deep plays. At least it doesn't seem like he will so far. But like they're gonna pick on him so hard if he's out there starting uh, just on the underneath stuff, like because that's he's just giving that up all day. So um, I'm a little bit worried about that situation. And Nico Thorpe and you know Dondre Elliott, who, who's gonna start? Do we even like have, they haven't announced anything yet in terms of who's starting for the the cornerback spot opposite Sherman? I didn't miss that, did I? But but, uh, Griffin has started both games. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Lane was essentially healthy last game, and Nico Thorpe was healthy, and they now have 
uh, Tremaine Brock. Brock. And Brock was, you know, he was brand new, but he was like third string. Didn't he got, play in the slot the whole game too? Like, I wonder if he's not even an outside guy for them. I think they see him as inside. We'll get into this later. So a little bit yeah. of a tease, but, but um, you know, we talked about it last week a bit, but I think they've got a surplus at corner. And I think that uh, they may find a place where Jeremy Lane is more valued than he is here and, and might be able to be interesting spots. That would be interesting. Um, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to, to shit on Griffin because I think he does have a lot of great potential. I just, I'm worried about the beginning of the year. I think they're just going to pick on him, you know, on the, all the underneath stuff. Like one play that comes to mind is like on a third down, he was like giving up such a big cushion and he just got an easy third down, you know, a first down pickup. So plays like that make me a little bit worried. Um, but yeah, so the secondary a lot obviously is kind of what I'll be watching. Blair Walsh, hopefully point to the other benches and whatnot <laughs> he's actually i mean he could be like if he's done with that yips thing like that's such a sweet pickup oh man he was all pro yeah he wasn't all pro and you guys probably know how i've always kind of felt about Hauschka. he was always like seems like a great guy very you know good kicker but he just pissed me off so much all the time <laughs> the low kicks <laughs> can't leave without time why i want to know more about that because of his low kicks, it was just like stressed me out literally every single time he kicked it. I swear, like I swear to God, every time he made a field goal, it went like directly through someone's hands. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and and just somebody, ah, oh, God, kick it higher, man. I mean, I know it's not that easy, but he was so automatic. That's the thing I liked most about yeah. Hashka. I mean, the Hash Money, you know, uh, nickname was I think totally valid because I don't think he he just didn't seem to care what the situation was. He was just the same guy. And yeah. that's probably he part was, of what his yeah. downfall was is because he, he did not adjust the situation. You know, he kicked the same way and, you know, either they blocked it or they didn't. And I, uh, feel, I feel a little bit of like a sense of redemption or not redemption, but validation because I think you kind of got the point or the picture that Carol was just like this fucking guy. Like he just won't <laughs> kick it. They're like, they didn't try and resign him. But he's like, whatever, he can go sign wherever. I don't care. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, like he seems like a real great guy, and like I'm not trying to be like a dick or whatever, but like it was that was just always so frustrating for me in games. I just could not stand it. <laughs> so hopefully he's successful at Buffalo or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I I have to admit I I became a Blair Walsh fan uh, after that game. So I love <laughs> so I, lo- I, I heard I heard from like Danny O'Neill that. Uh, uh, you know, he didn't like that he did it. And, he, you know, I mean, maybe um, <laughs> who else? There's someone else that was like, oh, you know, he's a kicker. You shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know what? He absolutely should be doing that stuff. Like, you all know the mental side of the game. And he's got his team, like, taunting him a little bit. And he goes up there and he nails a 52-yard field goal with room to spare. And then he does it again. Like, I was like, all right, this guy's got it. He's, <laughs> I think he, you know, if he, if he can kick like that and he's that confident, Bring it on. And he's the, the sideline lit up. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not for nothing, but like I, th- I think that really endeared him to his teammates, which yeah. is an important thing for him. <laughs> stoked. Um, I think that was cool. And it, like, if you don't like that kind of stuff, like, why do you watch the NFL, honestly? Like, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that was fun. And I'm encouraged, obviously, like we kind of early on, we heard a lot about how he's missing a whole bunch, or at least it was kind of the, it was kind of like the whispers were like, he was not very con- consistent. It was a practice. totally overblown first practice where he missed two field goals. That's all. Yeah. 
so like, I don't know. It's good to hear that he's kind of gotten it together. Um, and yeah, but it, I mean, that could be, it could turn into adventure. The question is what happens when he misses one, you know? And yeah. it was good that he got those two after he missed the one on in the in last week or whatever. So that was big. That was a good step forward. And I'm excited about that. <laughs> well, thank God there's the Seahawks and not the Bucks. I don't know if you guys have been watching hard knocks, but uh watching um i think it's chris baker taunt both field goal kickers in their practice that they're gonna miss wide left and they were shanking it left and right and he's just Is that why that's why they oh, were saying someone on twitter was talking about how chris baker's a dick and i was like I wonder what he did. <laughs> he's not helping his team dude i'll tell you that much <laughs> i was wondering what that was well i was gonna ask you guys before i get off what's your guys's impression on the uh the running back situation. I'd be curious, like where you guys think that's going to end up. Cause we still haven't seen pro size and maybe never will. That's so disappointing. Uh, yeah. But what do you guys think? Well, how's it going to shake out? Do you think that, and the other question I have is, are they going to have a fullback on the roster? Cause it doesn't really, I don't remember them using it a whole lot yet. I mean, I think they will have one, but what's your take, Jeff? I don't know. Are you there? Are you frozen? Did Jeff leave. Go ahead, Evan. He's just yeah. so still. He's, He's sitting stoic. extremely still. He's thinking. He's thinking. <laughs> Give him some time. No, I think I think Reese is going to make the roster. Uh, I, I think I remember seeing some gifs and some some videos from the 2016 season where where Reese made some big blocks on some big plays for, for oh, yeah. long gains, and things just started, or at least things seemed to click when he w- he was on the field. So. I think he's going to... Yeah, I like him. Yeah, I, I think he's going to make the roster in terms of the running back situation overall. Um, the the Proceeds thing is really kind of di- kind of bumming me out, honestly, just because he, he's a guy I feel like, honestly, everybody's like, oh, no, you can't, he can't be your, you know, your three down back. But when he was in, when, you know, when he was healthy last year, the offense was like night and day. Like mm-hmm. it, it was completely different. So, um, if, yeah, I mean, yeah. if, if Proceeds can stay healthy... healthy I think he's our running back, but can he stay healthy? I don't know. Do you guys think Alex Collins is kind of a goner at this point? I do. He's absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't see any way he's on the roster. And I think, so here's a reason that I, I definitely see them keeping Marcel Reese. Cause I, I've had the same question on the fullback side, but um, I've watched in practice that he's got the skill set they need to replace CJ Procise if necessary. He's not CJ Procise. I think the only other guy that's on the roster that's similar to him is JD McKissick. And I think there's a chance McKissick could push someone else off the roster because he can back up Procise and he can back up Lockett at kick and punt return. But um, Reese, the best pass pro blitz pickup on the team as at, at the running back spot, uh, fullback spot, he can run pass patterns. We saw him do that last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a good blocker like in the run game. So I think he's he's just too valuable to let go. I think Trey Madden's nice, but but uh, I really hope they keep Reese. That's To me, Reese is like a Jari Evans. Yes, he's older. Keep him because he knows what he's Jari doing. And just freaking keep him, please. Uh, and the other yeah. thing, running back-wise, I, I understand it's frustrating about ProSize. I'm not worried because they've got their four deep at running back. If ProSize is healthy and he can give you third down snaps, he's a huge bonus. But right now, you've got Rawls, and if even if Rawls isn't healthy, you've got Lacey. And if Lacey isn't healthy, you've got Chris Carson. And if you end up with just Chris Carson, I still believe that they're in a better position than they were last year. So I think, you know, unless they get a just overwhelming, you know, injury, you know, that nobody can recover from, I think they're in decent shape. Carson's so interesting to me. He He's... 
I had no hopes for him coming in because because like there's so many guys. <laughs> That's just, right. You know, like there was just too many guys in front of him. But I think he's pretty much a lock at this point. My question is whether Mike Davis is going to make the team, whether they keep six or whatever. But that probably won't happen. He's looked pretty good though. So I don't know. Yeah, the running back situation is interesting to me because it's going to suck to see Mike Davis get cut. I don't know. And I don't really care about you know Collins at this point. I think he could be. They could keep him around on the practice squad even maybe if at this rate. I think he he didn't he fumble late in the game too. He yeah. did. He, he he did the. Outcome. That was not a, not a good choice. <laughs> he did a bad job too. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just don't see anything he could do that would earn a roster spot. I just no. I just don't see it unless they're ready to somehow cut one of the other guys and even you know salary cap wise there's just not incentive like if there's a way there's a way they could cut eddie lacy and feel good about it maybe um to use that money somewhere else but there's they wouldn't really gain that much by doing that so um there's just no incentive and uh they've already given him like a couple hundred grand for losing weight they might as well keep him at this point (laughs) exactly (laughs) Exactly. Uh, the other guy that i was really excited about that is naz jones i think um it's yep, we had an article up on the site. It sucks to lose uh, McDowell, but then Naz Jones is kind of like making you forget about that a little bit. So that was the other thing I was going to mention. It's kind of cool to see him provide some pass rush because he was a, I mean, he's a third rounder. That's like a pretty high pick still, and I didn't have any expectations for him. I thought he'd be like you know a run stuffing like two like one or two down guy, and he's he's provided some pass rush, so that's exciting. Yeah, it, it is, and I, hopefully Jeff's back on. And I, I saw him blink, so he, yeah, he's yeah, moving. Uh, but but you know, I think that it's uh, you had Jaron Reed as you traded up in the second round, and then you get Naz Jones in the third round. I'm like, what are they doing? They've been able to get run stuffing defensive veteran tackles on the cheap. Why are they spending early draft capital on run stuffers? One of the things you've seen so far this year. Jaron Reed's lost a little weight, definitely more active. He had a massive slam on uh, quarterback uh, in this last game. Ended up being the oh, biggest yeah. completion of the game for for the Vikings. Oh, but, yeah, because the guy, it was like the bust in the backfield, but that was right. Him. Yeah, okay. that's right. And then Naz Jones, I had the same read as you, Danny. I thought this guy was going to be a run stuffer. And from the, first, the scrimmage they had in camp and then both games, he has flashed as... Yeah a pass rusher, not, not as like a dominant pass rusher, but a guy that can create some pressure. And I'm really interested if they ended up pairing him with Bennett on the nickel situation, I have more optimism about him in that role than I do about Reed, but um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, Reed had one and a half sacks last year. If he can double that to three sacks, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And, and that would be a pretty, pretty big you know step forward for him. When you look at the teams that, when you look at the, the years for the Seahawks that have been really good. They've had those really good interior rushers like the, like um, Clinton McDonald was a guy that was, I think, you know, like kind of an underrated star of that, that defense in 20, Absolutely. 2013 when he had five sacks. Yep. Yeah. So yep. really And um, then I'm blanking on the other guy that they, they drafted from Penn state and then cut Jordan Hill. Yeah, Jordan Hill, when he was on, that was always very, very kind of helpful. And so that, I don't know, I'm, I just like look at the Seahawks last year were the one of the best run teams in history, like run defense teams in history. Like they were amazing against the run. They made teams completely one-dimensional. Yep. And 
the ability, like I just look at their interior defensive line. Tyba Rubin is really good. Jaron Reed, you know, he, I think he's solid and, and could be really, really good. And then Nas Jones is exciting to see him. So they've got like these three just bowling balls in the middle of the field um, that just completely screw up everyone else's run game. I think that's huge. Um, and it's exactly what like Pete Carroll's been telling us he wants to do for years. So I guess it makes sense. It's just uh, it's it's nice to see him have a little bit of pass rush too. So yeah, he's exciting. Jeff, you've been waiting for a while. Anything you wanted to, to jump in here with? No, I think that's good. We've had Danny on for half an hour. That was, that was a lot longer than we thought. And we always want to thank him for coming on and came on a pretty short notice. So you can follow his stuff on the ringer or his Twitter account at Danny B Kelly. And yeah, we just really appreciate your time and you're always welcome to join us to talk Seahawks. All right. Thanks for having me on guys. And uh, you got the, the hockey gear going on in there. You must be Canadian. Yeah, I got a Molson Canadian. <laughs> nice. Just sponsor. stereotypical Canadian. Love I it. Know. I, dude. I know. Love it. Luke Wilson's right. a friend of mine. Go get to writing, Danny. We need to read your stuff. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya. Yeah, and Danny touched on a lot of the stuff we were going to talk about throughout the show, so that means that it was, it was a very good interview with Danny. And before we get into the Vikings game, we'll, I kind of want to break that down from a nitty-gritty standpoint. I want to touch on one more thing quickly about the offensive line. We'll double back on this a little bit later when we'll get into more of what they do if Reese Odiombo isn't touching. But I can't go five minutes on Twitter almost now, and I can't stop seeing the name Gary Gilliam. And I know Evan is a very passionate Gilliam supporter. We're not going to get too deep into this, but there seems to be a mixed reaction from anyone you talk to on Gary Gilliam and where they stand. And every time Jermaine Effendi blows up a pass pro, you start to look thinking, why didn't they keep Gary Gilliam? I view it a little bit differently, but I just want to get Evan's view on this. I'll get into mine quickly after. Why does the Gilliam move upset you so much? And where would you, where would ideally he fit in in this offensive line right now? Yeah. So let me, I want to, I want to make this clear. I, I, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not saying Gary Gilliam is the best right tackle in the NFL. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it was extremely, in my opinion, stupid for them to let him go over, I think it was a guarantee of like a million dollars when they were willing to funnel like $8 million to um, Jokel, who, you know, like completely blew up his knee the year before. And it, it's just such a low uh, – it's just so frustrating because – he. To have him this year, like imagine the current line, but with Gilliam at right tackle instead of Ifedi, I feel like I don't know. I don't know what your confidence would be like, but my confidence would be a lot higher. I just, I obviously Gilliam struggled in in a couple early games last year in 2016, but he really found his groove towards the end of towards the end of the year, and he was solid in pass pro. And you know, for you know all the crap we give pro football, quite a few games Gilliam was your best offense per pro football focus so i uh i just think at the cost that they let him go it made absolutely no sense to me it's a thing it's a it's a pass pro thing obviously he wasn't great you know run blocking and i think that's maybe why they let him go but it just doesn't in terms of the money that they let him walk for so that's my frustration yeah and brian brian do you want to comment on that quickly or yeah, I mean, and and if you guys are interested, I'll actually pull up some of his grades here um, that we can look at. But um, yeah, I, uh, 
Oh, I've kind of gone full circle on Gilliam. I was one of the guys that was pumping him up from um, practice and uh, training camp and saying, you know, he's a better pass protector back when he was like early on just transitioning his first year. And um, uh, I just lost a little bit of confidence in him. I, I don't think he was physical enough last year. I think that um, I really was expecting him to step forward and he just didn't. And um, I think he's just a guy and I think he's, he's not a Seahawks guy. I don't think he's mean. I don't think he's tough. Um, I think we obviously heard cable kind of infer that. And um, I agree with what Evan's saying about the money. Um, to let go, would we be better off having a Gary Gilliam on the roster? Cause we're now trading around to get whoever we can, um, at tackle probably. And we're probably paying Matt Tobin the money that we could have paid Gilliam and Gilliam's probably better than Tobin, but I don't know for sure. But like, look, we'll, we'll take a quick look and then I'll hand it over to you, Jeff. Um, so here's, here's Gilliam from last year, um, for Seattle and, you know, these were, you know, his best games uh, against Arizona and against San Francisco, and his pass block grades were pretty good. But, I mean, there's two games. I mean, for the most part, this was not a good player. Negative 16 pass blocker um, over the course of the season. Run blocking, you know, negative 14.1, not, not solid. You know, overall, he's a, you know, negative 29.9 player uh, from a pro football focus standpoint. That's not great um negative 18.6 for 2015 and then if you look at this year for san francisco he's a backup right tackle it's not like he's ascended and you know he's not necessarily performing that well he's a negative pass blocker he's a negative run blocker so um while i i you know i'm not gonna paint evan as a gilliam lover um (laughs) I, i i do understand why people bring him up I don't know that it really, I don't think it would have changed the course of this season much, um, you know, but, but what's your thought, Jeff? Um, I think the Seahawks play of the offensive line has been so bad the last couple of years. It's made fans and bloggers overvalue a guy like Gilliam. And I'll, I'll, I have a soft spot for Gary, mostly because I touched down in the NFC championship against Green Bay. I'll never forget that play. That was yeah, maybe one of the most memorable plays in Seahawks history, but as I was saying before, I, I think we're really overvaluing the guy. And, yeah, Evan's right about the finances. Looking at the team now, you really wish you had a guy like him as a backup. He could maybe backfill in a left tackle. At least they tried doing that last year. But to me, I don't want to give the NFL teams too much credit based on that Russell Wilson article we were talking about before. But to me, this jumped off as a red flag, and I might be totally off on this. But the league has such a shortage of offensive linemen right now. You saw bad tackles getting paid like crazy, and you saw teams overpaying all these offensive linemen. What did Matt Khalil get? $8 million a year. Luke Jokel got crazy money. Mike Remmers. No one jumped on Gary Gilliam. Maybe I'm misreading the situation. To me, that was a red flag because these guys, someone should have jumped on this guy if he's a functional tackle in the NFL. Mike Remmers couldn't block anyone in that Super Bowl, and he got like $6 million a year. And <laughs> So uh, just to clarify, Matt Khalil got a five-year, fifty-five million dollar contract. So we're talking eleven point one million APY. That was twenty-five million dollars of the contract guaranteed. So overpays are definitely happening. 
Yeah. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is a hindsight thing that probably won't even be a factor if George Fam is healthy right now. But those are my thoughts. I think people need to relax a little bit when they're showing these Gilliam clips for preseason. He's blocking second string defensive ends. There's not a lot of great second string defensive ends out there. So let's let's all relax a little bit. And now I want to move the discussion more towards the Vikings game. I know Danny talked about a bunch of the issues that I want to ask you guys about. So I think the, to start this off, where do you guys stand on Shaq Griffin right now? I know there's a ton of excitement around him, around the team. But team, as Danny said, teams have been picking on him in the preseason. There's a clear target in the passing game. And when you open up against Aaron Rodgers week one of the season, are you equally as confident, more confident, less confident? How do you guys feel right now? Brian, you want to start? Go ahead, Evan. So I, I guess referring back to Danny's point, saying like that teams are picking on Shaq, didn't teams kind of pick on the opposite corner of Sherman like before Shaq was around? Like it, I, I just feel like this has been a thing that um, – when you have when you have Richard Sherman, you know, playing corner, they're not going to attack him. They're going to attack the other side. So I, I think as long as Shaq doesn't give up, or as long as Keel, whatever we're calling him, doesn't give up, uh, you know, the deep plays, I think he's going to – I'm I'm okay with that for his first year. As long as he doesn't give up long deep plays, you know, the explosive plays, then I'm happy with that. Um, I'd love to obviously see his uh, – what's it called? Kick step, step kick corner technique. Uh develop and refine a little bit better but um you know we have a lot to see it's a limited sample size too and no real games so yeah i I, uh so by the way there's this thing going around he his name's shaquille griffin he (laughs) i call him shaq because it's easier he apparently likes to be called quill uh you know i want to say for the record on this show either either or both work shaquille also works as well so (laughs) Uh, Shaq Quill. Cool. Uh, so, I, I, look, I, I'm sold on this guy. I'm all in. Uh, start him. Let him go through the bumps. He is going to be your best corner in a few years. Let him start that that growth process right now. He's going to be a Pro Bowl cornerback. Um, he's going to lead your team in interceptions within the next three years. Um, and yep. so, I, I, I've seen everything I need to see from him. Uh, in terms of physical ability, uh, changes that he's been able to make. Um, even in that game, I was writing like, look, they are absolutely they've, – they've noticed in the first game he was good on a deep route. Now they're working on comebacks, and they're, they're seeing that his set is – he's taking deep sets. He's, he's covering the, the deep ball, so they're burning him. Stefan Diggs is a great route runner. He's a great test, and they're burning him. Then he made an adjustment, and he, he broke on a slant and broke it up, and that was a great sign – so he needs to, you know, keep working on the route tree. He's got the best coach right next to him and Richard Sherman who spends time with him. And he is a great learner. I've heard from the guys on the team and from coaches that that's one of the things they're most impressed about. Not just the defensive players. I've heard from offensive players, receivers that compliment what kind of work ethic and what kind of how, how well he listens and how much he's coachable. And if you've got those types of athletic skills and you're that coachable and you're on the team, that has the best secondary teaching and the best secondary philosophy in the NFL and one of the best in NFL history, this guy's going to be fine. And you're absolutely right, Evan. Uh, Warren Sharp did great detailed research on this last year. He and I went through it. If people don't know, Warren Sharp's a great uh, statistical analysis guy, analytics for the NFL. Go to check out his stuff. Um, I don't remember. His, his, it's Warren Sharp football or something along those lines. But 
NFL offenses are completely, well, depending on how you look at it, left-handed when they face the Seahawks. Yeah. Completely opposite of every other team they face because they avoid Richard Sherman. And one of the things I noted when I did more deep research there is the Seahawks with Shed as the cornerback last year were specifically vulnerable on throwing to the left side and short. So this isn't new for, for, for Shaq. This is something that we had to deal with last year. And I think Griffin is in far more better shape physically to be able to adjust and jump those routes eventually than Deshaun Shedd. So I think we're in great shape. I like training Brock as an addition. I like, you know, I like DeAndre Elliott. I like Pierre Desir. I think there's a lot of guys down that depth chart. Um, I even like Nico Thorpe. So I feel really positive about where they are with that group. And I, I think people are forgetting too with the shed injury that if, if shed rebounds and you know he 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 heals back fine, suddenly you have a decision to make with shed too. Because I I think shed had some had to, was kind of coming along towards the end of the season last year. Was I wrong or? Sorry, I was looking at comments. Say that again. Do you feel? Do you guys feel like Shed's uh, play towards the end of the end of the season before his ACL tear was really like showing some consistency? I I liked Shed most of the season. I didn't have it as much as a up and down. Um, I, I think there's certain things he does really well. He's a really physical player, and I think he made good plays on. I think he led the team in passes defense last year. I mean, I think yeah. I think he, he he made some good breaks on the ball. He's he's not a guy that's going to create a lot of turnovers. Um, I, I think that that's where he's not going to be the one that has the quick twitch to to really jump a route or um, that he can afford to take a chance because he has the recovery ability to to then do that. Yeah, Jack, you're going to see he's going to take some chances. He's going to get someone to try to beat him deep, and he's going to recover and still knock the ball down. You're going to see that happen. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Speaking of Griffin, I was really encouraged by his mindset throughout that game because cornerbacks one of the toughest positions to play in the NFL, and he was on an island out there, and they know they're going after him. And he didn't seem phased by all those early routes and all the struggles, and he seemed to recover. And it's a really mental position. That's kind of what's given Sherman that edge. Yeah. I've seen Griffin able to maintain his kind of toughness and his ability to stay within the scheme. I think he's only going to get better for more experience. So I'm sort of with Brian on that one. And I, I know that this has been going around a little today. I wouldn't put much stock in some of these team leak depth charts that come out to the media. I used to work in the media. I covered Bill's practices, some other teams' OTAs. A lot of those depth charts are made by the PR guys. The coaches don't see those a lot of the time. Those are just – I don't think the coaches staff would want the media to get a hold of their depth chart two days before a game. So – don't worry if you see Jeremy Lane ahead of Shaq Griffin or maybe where Tremaine Brock is right now. That's going to change rapidly based on the next two games. And the Seahawks especially are going to judge things on practice. So I'm not too worried about that. So I guess moving on from Griffin now. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier in the show, the Vikings and the Seahawks game wasn't even close. As the score indicated, it was like a one-score game in the end. And we've been talking about this all summer. The depth of the Seahawks just keeps standing out. Once the second string comes on, and this week the first string just looked fantastic against a team that many think could be a Super Bowl contender. So I want to ask you guys, I know we might not have as much time on this as I would have liked to have initially, but one guy who impressed you, really jumping off the tape. Let's start with the positive for now. Brian, you go first. I got to think about this one. Well, I'm a broken record, but... uh... 
David Bass. Um, you know, this is a guy that it actually shocked me, and I'm not easily shocked. It shocked me to see that they were lining him up almost exclusively inside in pass rushing situations. This guy's 248 pounds. He's not big, and he's built. He's he's a defensive end, and not a huge defensive end at that. And so it would be like putting Cliff Averill at a defensive tackle position. And that's what they did with David Bass. And what was clear to me is that they were seeing what they have in him because last week or the week before against the chargers, he was consistently winning on the edge, consistently making a difference. And so now they put him inside and he still was getting pressure. He ended up being the number one rated defender by pro football focus of both teams. He was plus 4.7. He is one of the top five pass rushers at 4-3 defensive end in the NFL during the preseason so far um, from Pro Football Focus. And so they're not the end-all be-all, but my eyes are telling me that this guy is an asset. And as I mentioned last time, he's got five and a half sacks in his NFL career. He's not an unknown. He's proven that he can get to the quarterback to some extent. Maybe, I mean, at the very outside, I wonder about a guy like Chris Clemens, you know, the guy that they they got from the Eagles that bounced around and had some sacks, but didn't really blossom until he got in the Seahawks system. And he could be a consistent, you know, Leo, uh, which is a unique thing to this to this defense and rush the passer. I don't think he has the the upside of a Chris Clemens, but could this be a backup player that ends up with three to five sacks for you. Yeah. Could this be a guy that spot starts? And if he had to start, could be, he could be a seven or eight sack guy. Maybe. So um, he's one. I'll give you one more. Uh, uh, Marcus Smith uh, was a guy I wanted to see. And um, this was his first game. He had a tackle for loss. That was great. Shed a blocker, powerful play against the run. I hadn't seen him as much against the run. So that was nice to see. And then showed some pass rush. So, I've currently got both of those guys making the team and um, we already talked about guys like Quentin Jefferson that played well. You've got Rodney Coe that I think has played well. You've got uh, Garrison Smith who Danny brought up. There's going to be some tough choices on that defensive line. How about you, Evan? I think uh, the one player that's actually kind of, I feel like flying under the radar is Delano Hill. He, uh, he had a, he had a big hit on, um, I don't know what player, but you know, for a couple of weeks now, he, he's kind of, he's kind of showing up in, in run defense and, and laying some hits in, in coverage and really kind of asserting his dominance. So, you know, being, seeing that from him as from a strong safety position is, is really, really encouraging. So, you know, if, if Cam can continue to uh, pour as much knowledge and wisdom into Delano as possible, uh, that'd be great because I think Delano might be starting at strong safety earlier than most fans think. Yeah, and for me, the obvious picks would obviously be Naz Jones, who Danny talked about, and we had an up article up on the site about them from CJ this week, and obviously Casey Williams. We have, no one's even mentioned him yet, and he jumped off the screen with maybe one of the best catches the entire preseason. But for me, this is he didn't play too much, but Doug Baldwin looked fantastic. Yeah, and they're not we don't have to worry about him battling for a position job, but going against the number one group of Minnesota's top five defense. Some of the moves he was showing in his routes were off the charts. And every year this guy gets better. And his route running skills and his recognition of, and his chemistry with Russell, who also, Russell could have easily been one of our picks in this game. But Doug Baldwin just looked like he was playing at a different level. And I know Steve Smith is a comparison that comes around with him. He doesn't have that 
maybe game breaking speed, but his ability with the ball in his hands and he's just, he's become a top 10 receiver in the NFL. And all that talk of the pedestrian stuff just looks so laughable now because he's become an elite player. And that movie pulled on that one corner where he did that start and stop. <laughs> I was scared he was going to break his ankle, but that was totally ridiculous. That was insane. That, that, that was a great, great call out, Jeff. And, uh, uh, you know, a couple things there. I mean, one, uh, I agree with you. This is the best he's ever looked in, in training camp. In that game was just a perfect example of that. He's been leaving people. He's making all sorts of people look really foolish. Um, he's getting... I've seen him make double when people say double moves, that's usually like a stop and go. But what I've seen him do uh, in, in practice is he'll actually make a cut on a slant and then he'll make a cut off of that. So the corner's adjusting and then having to readjust. And he's going from on his first cut, he's two yards from the the defensive back. And on the second cut, he's four yards. I mean, he's he's extending his depth up, uh, you know, separation um, and, and improving there. And I actually had a chance to talk to him about it a little bit. And um, I've given him crap in the past because he likes to play basketball in the offseason. And anyone that's a Seahawks fan and remembers Nate Odoms um, way, way back uh, as a cornerback for the Bills. The Seahawks signed as a big free agent, as a big name. And he uh, he tore up his knee playing in a pickup basketball game uh, before he ever played a snap as the Seahawks and never played again. So I've given him some crap about that, but Doug actually credits basketball to, um, you know, a lot of how he gets prepared for his body for getting separation. And um, it was interesting. I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but he took a huge hit um, at the goal line. I think it was from Terrence Newman. Yeah, and the one like. I haven't seen Doug squared up like that since his rookie year. Like that was probably the hard, like and, and it's, it's notable for a couple of reasons. One, thankfully he's okay. But two, um, this is a guy that doesn't get hit. <laughs> Not only does he get separation, but he's, he's really learned how to avoid the big hit, how to get out of bounds, how to like, he's kind of the Russell Wilson of receivers in that way. And that um, I, I couldn't remember the last time I really saw Doug Baldwin got lit up. Good point. Yeah. I guess, I guess we got to talk about it from a negative standpoint. I know we're all probably going to go back to the offensive line here, but, any negative thoughts from the Vikings game? I know we, we don't want to talk too much on this, but I got to ask the question to be fair. Well, I mean, I hate to just go back to the offensive line, but, you know, yeah. I, I think there's there's obviously work to be done there. Um, I thought – so, So listen, I'm going to wrap a negative and a positive. I thought Jermaine Effetti gave up some pressures, gave some sacks, had some holdings. You know, you're never going to hear me say, or you're not going to hear me say right now that he's perfect. I saw market improvement from week to week. I saw a guy that was more competent this week than he was the week before in pass protection. I saw a guy who was making some actually some pretty impressive run blocks. He sealed on the outside. Um, he got on the outside of Danielle Hunter. Um, is it Danielle or Danielle? Uh, anyway, he's he's a freaking amazing defensive end is who he is. And uh, he got on the outside of him, sealed him, and, and opened up on two straight plays, outside runs, one for, I think, Chris Carson and one for Eddie Lacy. But, you know, he's still got ways to go. I thought Ethan Posick, Ethan Posick had his least impressive showing. Um, you know, he had a couple penalties. Uh, I thought he got beat. And so that was a little bit deflating for me because I was really hoping that he was just going to be the guy that had a uninterrupted ascendancy into where they just could not do anything but play him. But, you know, I think there's reasons that you're hearing this week 
you know, his name is not being bandied about as pushing anyone for, for starting reps. I think that they're content to let him be a backup at a lot of roles and, um, you know, kind of go through that. Um, the only other thing I, I'd kind of throw out there, hopefully I'm not stealing too many is look, I've been out, I've been out in front on Amar Darbo. Oh, you stole mine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'll give it. To you. I was, I was just going to say, uh, maybe, maybe it's not a negative, but a disappointing, uh, adjective might be the right word. Um, it, it's just, it, it kind of sucks to see him deal with so many like little, um, injuries and obviously I'm not I'm not blaming the concussion thing on him like you know it, it was just an unfortunate hit unfortunate situation pass right into coverage whatever um, I, I just wish we could see more from Darba because we heard we saw we heard some good things in practice and I, I'm just waiting to see it in a game and you know it's, it's just it's just not happening but you know Brian I'm sure you got some thoughts on this well I I mean I think I don't want it to get to the point where people are ho- thinking that I'm hoping he doesn't make the roster because that's not the case. There's no reason I w- I want the best 53 guys to make the roster. Um, what I don't care about is how they got there. They could be undrafted. They could be traded for. They could be rookies. They could be whatever. Um, and Darbo, I think I, I qu- tweeted out this morning. I mean, Hugh Millen, Hugh Millen was on um, with uh, Mitch this morning on KJR talking. I think it was Seahawks roundtable. And he said, look, I could make the case. So both Bob Condota and Greg Bell said, he's a lock. Absolutely. There's no way they're going to have a third round pick that doesn't make the team. And that's what almost everybody says. And then Mitch actually forced him to go through the roster and who are the receivers. And they're starting to realize, well, who's he going to knock off? Because oh, they were actually making the case for McKissick. And they were making the case for Cason Williams. And they're making the case for Tanner McAvoy. And they're making the case for Jermaine Curse. It's like, well... Who's he going to knock off? And then you said, look, I could make the case that he has made fewer plays than any other receiver in the entire camp. And that's not because of injury. That's just, I mean, even in the practice, he's, in, that he's made the fewest plays of any receiver on the roster. This is including guys like Rodney Smith, guys. I mean, I've been there. I've seen Rodney Smith make some plays. I have not seen Amara Darbo make plays since the very first practice. He caught a couple balls in the first practice. He has been a non-factor, and people want to say, "Oh, he's he's with you know the third string or the second string quarterback." So are the other guys, and there's reasons that Marcus Lucas was getting you know he was getting a ton of targets and and completions. So I'm not saying that Darbo is a bust or he's no chance, but damn, the guy better start making some plays. Uh, and I hope I hope that he shows out this Friday, and it's like, oh, there he is. That's yeah. the guy they drafted because I'm not seeing it yet. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because a lot of their draft picks that they've hit on really look like players so far. And as Jones has been a little better, Delano Hill has stood out. Shaq Griffin, obviously, we've talked about a lot. Ethan Posick has been up and down, but he, he, there's a lot to like there. So if you can keep getting contributions, he's got he's got to start making plays because Tanner McAvoy is a guy the team loves. JD McKissick, yes, he fumbled this week, but he offers value as a returner. And if CJ Procise continues to deal with durability issues, he adds value there too. So yeah, Darbo's a guy that everyone's going to be watching closely the last two games. And Pete Carroll said that he's clear his concussion stuff. So he should be back. But um, for me, if I had to say one negative, a couple things I would hit on quickly one CJ Procise. Guy's got to be on the field, man. He's such a valuable piece when he plays. He was the guy I was most excited to see when training camp started. And the fact that he flares up right before the game, the team still figuring out kind of what's going on there. He just tightens up, I believe, 
it just brought back bad memories. This guy has got to prove that he can last the season because he offers something that no one else on the roster can, and he can really help this offense jump to the next level. To me, this is just one play, and it drove me f- damn crazy. That fade to Jermaine Curse on the one-yard line. Stop doing that. He did it to Casey Williams. I don't understand why we isolate Jermaine Curse in the red zone. Somebody explain this to I know, me. I know, I know. I, 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 I'm not even arguing that we – I'm not saying we cut Jermaine Curse. I'm no, saying no, we no. stop isolating him in the freaking red zone. What, how does this make See? any sense to me? Like, he's not your red zone threat. He cannot catch the ball in the red zone. He's not your guy. You got Jimmy Graham. You got Doug Baldwin. You got Kaysen Williams. Throw it to anybody else but Jermaine freaking Curse. I get hyped about this. It blows my mind. It's Thank insane. Thank you, Evan. That's exactly how I felt. And the funny <laughs> part was the next freaking play. They run the same route, same play to Kaysen. Works perfectly. I, I, Lesson right there, right? Oh, my God. So, I, guys, do you see that as a Russell Wilson thing? Oh, oh or definitely. A, or a Daryl Bevel thing? Where do you, where, you give it, do a blame pie? You know, what percentage? I think it's 50 50 or I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, Jeff? I think yeah, both are you absolutely. Got, you got to get out and you, you got to get out there, Evan. You're hyped up. Come on. Give us your, <laughs> give us your blame pie. I mean, I, I, I got to have a take, dude. Who isolates him on the, who isolates him on that side? And, and, you know, I mean, Russell's the one throwing the ball and he's the one who obsessively targets Jermaine curse in the red zone. So, I mean, Russell has a huge part to blame and I, and I love Russell, but I mean, he's got to stop with his unhealthy fixation on curse. I mean, he's a big part. I, I don't know what exact percentage. Oh, come on. I'm not going to let you off with that. Give a percentage. All right. Russell is 75% to blame. Oh, all right. Jeff, where are you at in blame pie? <laughs> I was going to say 70. But I'm going to go with that. I mean, I want the hot take on this. <laughs> it just drives me nuts. Curse has value. He he offers a skill set that, but the one-on-one fade in the corner of the end zone, that's not his game. It's, it's that simple. Stop it. I want them to take him off the field in the red zone just so Russell's not tempted. Yeah, not yeah throw exactly. Him the Put him on the bench. Yeah. They're, run the same route for Jimmy Graham. God, I think work it, fine. it's pretty clear that you guys hate Russell Wilson. That's what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> so Hey, he's uh, my guy. I, I, you know, I was waiting to find out because God knows if I said Russell Wilson, 70%, then, you know, the whole world would blow up because I, I only like Matt Flynn. If you knew that I, I've always been only a Matt Flynn fan. Still, you still hear about that. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. We'll tell We'll talk about that one. That story one day. Um, but, uh, the actual, the, the correct answer is 51% Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> You should have said that, Evan. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, so, Jeff, are, are we gonna we're gonna have some time here in a bit to take some questions? Yeah, yeah. I think this would be the perfect opportunity. We kind of build up the show. Danny went probably twenty five minutes longer. He was so good, we wanted to keep him, and he was asking us questions. So clearly, he was having fun. So, yeah, this would be, I guess, the ultimate time. Bring him in. Yeah, so so we've got Sean and Terry uh, on here, uh, Locker patrons. Um, if you guys have any questions, uh, open up the chat pod and and uh, uh, let us know, and we'll put you on stage. And you can ask a question. Um, if if you want to just wave your hand, I can just put you on that way too. That's fine. But I can only see I can only see uh, Sean at the moment, looking like he's moving around. Um, we also have people on the chat pod, uh, outside and we'll, we'll take a look at some of those questions in a second. So if you guys want to, um, uh, start piling up questions there, we'll, we'll get to those in a second. So, um, 
let's i'm gonna go there's the question all the way at the beginning i'm gonna go back to um looks like i can't get back to it because it's too far <laughs> we've been talking for too long um <laughs> let's see i'm not seeing any big questions come up here there's there's some stuff about i guess there's been some questions about jd mckissick and why i think the, the question is why is brian obsessed with jd mckissick he looks <laughs> average and uh let me take a moment on that so um, one, I, I will start by saying JD McKissick is not on. If you've looked at my 53 man roster today, he slid, he's no longer on my 53. I've got Casey Williams and Tanner McAvoy still, um, uh, now above him. Uh, but I have Darbo and, and McKissick off, uh, still. Now, the reason that I had to think about that is, is we've said it a bunch of times. I think that they don't want Tyler Lockett returning kicks for a little while. Um, and I think they definitely don't want to have to have only one returner, a valid returner on the roster that way. And McKissick, it, despite the fumble, he, if you watch him practice, he is by far the most confident catcher of the football and punt and, and kick return situations. They tried Cyril Grayson there. He fumbled regularly. They've tried some other guys that are just back into the roster players. Um, Alex Collins, you know, might not make, obviously not going to make it. So I think he's he's valuable for that reason. He's actually made special teams plays as well. He's actually made a tackle last. I think he's made a tackle in both games. Um, so he has potential to be a coverage guy. I think he has potential to be a gunner um, on special teams. He has some ability there. And then he's a professional. Like he's a professional receiver. He runs routes well. Um, he gives a little bit of a different look than the other receivers they have on the roster. He's a little bit more of a Taylor Gabriel than than other guys. He's not nearly as fast as Gabriel, but he's got, he's got more run after catch than almost any of the other guys. Um, so they can isolate him in some, some, some plays there. And he's been a running back, so he can actually fill that CJ Procise role like no one else. So from a fill checks, a lot of boxes, um, perspective, um, I think JD McKissick has some value and I think that, uh, um, it will be hard for the team to walk away from that. Now, Maybe they can stow him on the practice squad. Maybe that's possible because he's not a guy that, you know, is blowing it up. The reason I don't have him on the roster right now is primarily because of that and because he's only made one catch in the preseason and he fumbled. So I, I feel like he has not taken advantage of his opportunities. We'll see if, if he gets a little bit more chances now. Any, you guys have any uh, J.D. McKissick comments? Nah, your take's good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard to hard to one-up that. Um. Let's see. Any other? I've got some Game of Thrones questions showing up here. Are you guys Game of Thrones fans? Oh, am I? I a this. Yeah. What, Jeff? You don't watch? I'm behind, so I I uh, have to leave the room during these questions. Oh God! All right, I won't. <laughs> I won't ask you any uh, any questions about that then. Um. So there's there's some questions here about. Uh. Well, I think there's a question around if not Riso Diombo. What are the other options? You know, if there's someone not on this roster that could be a, a potential left tackle solution, what are the options? What's the hope um, outside of, of Matt Tobin and Riso Diambo? We've talked about this a little bit, but I'm curious if you guys have some thoughts on this. What's the uh, realistic hope or the uh, unrealistic hope? You may, you may cover both and couch them as such. Jeff, you want to start first? Well, I can do the unrealistic. The unrealistic is the dream that every Seahawks fan has been thinking about for years. It's Joe Thomas, but it's <laughs> definitely not happening. Don't even try. Yeah. 
no, uh, one of the local San Francisco writers was saying that Seattle should call the Niners since they're rebuilding. And Ooh, Staley. Joe Staley. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I still don't think they can fit his money in. I think there's, there's too little wiggle room there, and I don't think the combination of the pick they'd have to give, I just don't see Schneider doing that. Obviously, Dwayne Brown is another guy that Brian mentioned on Twitter this week as someone who's holding out right now. Houston traded their first and second-round picks both to Cleveland for different quarterbacks, so they're down picks. They're probably open to trading, but the idea of giving up a high pick, paying him, giving him more money, he wants guaranteed money. The combination, just none of these seem realistic, so... What about Donald Penn? Donald Penn can work if you give up a roster player. But again, Oakland's in a win-now situation. Are they really giving up their left tackle? I just don't see it. The whole offensive line is so important to what they do because their defense stinks. It's horrible. Yeah, I just think it's highly unlikely they make a move for left tackle. It just doesn't – it's too late. Don't give up left tackles at this time of year. Yeah. Realistically, you got to hope something internal happens or maybe Brandon Albert on the street, but that guy didn't want to play. Yeah. So I don't think there is an option. I think you got to roll with what you have on the roster. Tobin's the depth option. Maybe that Posick is your last emergency option, but you're hoping for a Trent Green situation where the guy tears his ACL and Kurt Warner emerges out of nowhere and takes him to the Super Bowl. That's what you're hoping for, Reese Odiambo. But it's not probably not going to happen, but. That's the best case scenario. All right, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be the ray of sunshine here and and, and a little bit of hope. So so one, I do want to remind everybody, Reese Odiamba was a third round pick last year. Yes, it was by the Seahawks, but he's hmm. a third round pick. He was not a seventh round pick. And by the way, even though we all rag rightfully on the Seahawks' ability to identify offensive line prospects, he was celebrated by a lot of draft analysts. A lot of people really liked him. The biggest question on Odiamba was his durability. Um, he was nicked up his senior year, and uh, a lot of people thought that he was a legit um, offensive lineman coming out of a school. So he sh- apparently has has an, some upside, and so I- I'm willing to see if some increased opportunity, increased reps brings out the best in him. I'd also say that when I've watched him in games, he hasn't been a total disaster all the time. There's been really some poor reporting, I got to say. I'm not going to call out specific people. They said, you know, he came in for George Fant and immediately surrendered two sacks. Bull, that is not what happened. He came in for George Fant and they had two scoring drives. He didn't give up two sacks until the second half. So, you know, yes, he had, he, he gave up the sacks. That matters and that's true. But they functioned fine with him. And they, by the way, he came in for Phil in Philadelphia last year when George Fant went out. They scored a touchdown on that drive. They, like, he is, He's not necessarily a guy that I would say is is just completely a disaster. Second, um, and by the way, Reese, if you're listening, please make me sound smart uh, later on. Don't let me down. Um, but the other thing, I will I will build a case, however unlikely, but I will build a case for how they could make a potential move. So, um, I do not believe Donald Penn is an option. I think he's too expensive, and I think the Raiders want him on their roster. Okay. I will say that Donald Penn has been holding out, and they've been playing other players at that position. Marshall Newhouse, I think, is the guy that they've been playing. They've got another guy behind him who's a, a third-string player that's playing left tackle. Both of those guys have been playing well. 
And let's say that one of those guys is another guy they add to the list that they're interested in, in, in adding. Well, how could they do it? I've been following Raiders uh, beat writers and Vic uh, Tafer is one of the guys I like to watch. And he was bringing up, he's answering questions from the, the fans. And there's like, what are we going to do about our defensive line? We can't stop the run. What are we going to do about our cornerback situation? We need playmakers. What are the things that we've been talking about? The Seahawks now have a surplus of, they've got a surplus of corners. They got a surplus of defensive linemen. They've got guys like Garrison Smith that is a good run stuffer and could potentially even have some value. They they could decide maybe to move a guy like Ataba Rubin. Um, maybe they believe enough in Jaron Reed and Naz Jones and some of the other guys that they've got, like Garrison Smith, to fill that role. Maybe. I'm not saying it's likely. And maybe they decide that they can move a guy like Jeremy Lane because they like what they see in DeAndre Elliott, Pierre Desir, and they think that those guys behind an experienced guy like Tremaine Brock that they'd be better off with one of the Raiders backup left tackles than they would be with those guys on their roster. So I don't know if that's going to end up happening. I would also add a couple more things to throw into that pot. You've got Reggie McKenzie. I think that's his name is the GM of the, the Raiders. Good friend of John Schneider's they've made trades before. And who's the defensive coordinator for the Raiders? He, he knows the Seahawks. Is, is Ken Norton still? I'm hoping. Yep. Yes, I, that hasn't changed. So, you know, he knows what how the Seahawks play. He knows the Seahawks players. I think that there's reason to think that that might be an option. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. How'd I do? You believe it? Yeah, possible. I don't know if hey. you guys saw. I don't know if you guys saw the Raiders play uh, the Rams on the weekend, and Jared Goff absolutely torched them. The Raiders' defense is horrible. They have Khalil Mack, one of the greatest pass rushers in the league, and nothing else, it seems. Bruce Irvin, we all love Bruce Irvin. Not, he's, he's a good player, but nothing else. Their linebackers stink. Their corners stink. He made Jared Goff look like an all-pro, and that's scary. That's hard to do. So, yeah, they need defensive help at all three levels. So, if there's a match, that's got to be it. So, I'm, hope, I'm hoping you're right. But right now, I think Brian made a good point about Odeon, but I just want to say that. And he he has showed a lot in small doses. He has had his issues. I, I dug around a little bit to kind of get a a league wide view of him. And the thing I heard was that he thinks a little too much when he's playing. And that's something that can easily be fixed. And that's something where Pete Carroll can really help with. He's he's got the mental coach and Michael Gervais, and they're really good at making players like feel comfortable and play at your best self. So if you get his technique down and you can really make him feel comfortable. That's a pretty good backup left tackle option because look how hard it is to find a functional left tackle. Even in their Super Bowl year, they had to play Paul McQuiston, who's a guard, at left tackle for like eight or ten games, and he was terrible. And they were able to function then, so there is some hope there. So I want to agree with Brian on that. Yeah. Brian, do we have any more questions from the guys? Well, we do. Uh, we want to take maybe one more. Yeah, let's take one more. We're getting we're getting pretty late here. Yeah. So. Um... Okay, I'll give you guys two to choose from here. One is Jermaine Curse. Question that everyone always wants to know: Is he going to make the final roster? I might want to take that. It's always fun. And then there's a question about: Is there any Seahawks player that we see uh, slowing down, um, and uh, on the, especially specifically uh, maybe on the defensive side, but just in general? Um, 
either one of those you guys want to take? Which one do you want, Jeff? I'll take Jermaine Curse. I've been digging around on that all summer long, and I think he does make the team. I think that they like him as a guy who can play all three receiver positions in his in the defense in the offense. And with Lockett and Richardson a little banged up, they want to have that guy who can play all three spots on offense. And he might even be the number five receiver at this point, but just having a guy that you can step in if one guy goes down. They really value that, and the team views him a lot higher than a lot of fans do. So, yes, I, I would think strongly he makes the team. Yeah, the durability issues with you know Darba, Lockett returning from his surgery, that type of stuff. Um, you know, Chris can stay on the field. He's durable. That's one of his main uh, positives. So, um, you know, with other injuries in the wide receiver room, I think he makes the team. If there weren't injuries. Should he make the team based on Brian's logic and the amount of plays he's made this preseason? Mm, you could probably, you could make an, you could maybe make an argument that he shouldn't, but um, just looking quickly at his cap hit uh, stuff. If you, if you cut Jermaine curse with a post June 1st designation, we're post June 1st right now, obviously um, you you'd save 2.2 mil against the cap but you'd really have to have a reason to do that. Like if you were going to make a move or something. So um, yeah, probably makes the team. He's going to make the team. So. Yeah. So um, I want to do a couple things and then you can wrap us up here, Jeff. Um, yeah. One, thanks for everybody that's been joining and following along. We had a lot of viewers. It's great. We're going to keep building this thing up. We've got a lot of great guests that are going to keep coming on. We're going to grow that. Um, click subscribe, uh, down on the, the, the button below, um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're going to have a lot more content coming out. we got the prediction show coming. We got a bunch of good stuff. Um, and, uh, I will let you know, uh, right now, um, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be hosting, a, a separate, not a real Hawk talk, but a separate uh, prediction show with, uh, Mina Kimes and Danny Kelly. So, uh, their longtime prediction showed, uh, guests and, and we're going to do that and we'll, we'll hopefully then spend us uh, part of next week talking about some of the, the outcomes of that and where we all differ from, from where some of the people came in there. Um, and I want to thank, uh, uh, Terry Milstead and, and, uh, and Sean Thompson who, who joined us, um, uh, patrons and, and our, uh, Hawk blogger patrons, part of the Hawk blogger private Facebook group, Evan, Jeff, Myself, CJ, Nathan are all in there. Um, it's a great way to get closer with the community, find other people that, frankly, aren't dicks. You know, like Twitter is full of a lot of people that are not fun to, to talk Seahawks with anymore. And if you want to find a group that's supportive, you can ask any question you want. We'll, we'll try to do our best to answer it. And by joining it, you're helping a charity at the same time. Um, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great way to meet other people find other people to get together with before the game, after the game, on the road, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think we're trying to build something here that, that uh, you know, really just makes being a Seahawks fan more fun. And, and I encourage everyone to go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, uh, sign up, um, little as five bucks a month, and uh, have a little bit more fun as a Seahawks fan. So uh, with that, Jeff, Evan, you want to wrap us up here, Jeff? Yeah, again, thanks everyone for joining. And thanks, Danny, if you listen to this for a great segment. Um, yeah, next le- next week, it looks like we got a real cool guest lined up. Well, we'll save it for next week. I just got to confirm back with him, but it should be a guest you guys will all want to hear from. He's been all over some Seahawks stuff this, this summer, so that'll be fun. And 
yeah, we'll be back next week talking the Chiefs game and Brian's been breaking down the 53-man roster every week and this will take another step forward this week with the new left tackle and all kinds of fun stuff. The third game is always the most fun preseason game. You'll see the starters for a long time. So, yeah, that should be good. And, again, another I want to just do another shout-out. I did it to him at the beginning of the show. Shiel Kapadia, or Kapadia is leaving ESPN, if you haven't heard, leaving the Seahawks beat to pursue an opportunity he has yet not, not yet, yet named. And I think it's really cool what he's done the last couple of years. He's done some really unbelievable stories that really no one else has kind of touched on. The Russell Wilson diet was one of them. And I found it really cool that Richard Sherman, I don't know if he's listening right now, but he gave Sheila a shout out on Twitter. And based on his relationship with the media, I know Evan and Brian mentioned this to me before the show. That really says a lot because he had a tough relationship with the media. Things went poor last year for everyone. And that says a lot about Sheila and the character and whoever replaces him in that job will be excited to read. And I have a lot of respect for people who cover the team on a full-time basis. I have a relationship with some of those guys. I know Brian does too. And, Evan does a ton of great work on Twitter every day and on the site. So anyone who brings that kind of stuff to our community, you got to give a shout out to. So yeah, that's it. I don't know if Evan, you want to fill anything in here, but enjoy the show and we'll be back again next week with lots of fun stuff. Yeah. Looking forward to preseason game three. Let's get the season going. Let's do it. Thanks everybody. All right. Have a good one guys.